Hey y'all, and welcome to Southern Fried Spooky, the podcast home of all things Southern Spooky and primed for Halloween. Of course we are. Always. Yes. I mean, wait, no, that's a year-round thing for us. <laughs> but it's almost here. Yes. We, as always, would like to invite you to our Facebook page, mm-hmm. Instagram, which mm-hmm. I've sort of ignored, and Patreon. Indeed. Leave us likes, some comments, and five-star reviews. Yep. I'm your Carolina girl, Heather. And I'm your Florida man, Tony. And tonight, we celebrate All Hallows' Eve. We once more gather around our virtual campfire to share spine-tingling tales. We've collected our usual cadre of friends and a few new ones to help us out and share their spooky stories. Mm-hmm. We have Brad Lee of Pirates Royale fame, who is just a great storyteller. He'll share some more encounters he had in his younger years. We have Emily Stardust, who guides the ghost walks in Beaufort. Beaufort, sorry. Also, we'd like to bring back storyteller Kyle Jones, famous on here for being the voice of our Axeman. Indeed. For some of his own tales. And we'd like to introduce Mae Hemmer, who just had to share her very recent spooky times at a Viking experience camp. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's Uh, us. There's us. So, close your eyes and find yourself outside in a clearing in the pine woods. The wind whispers in the dark trees. Bring me tacos. That's what it would say? I don't know. You are really bad at meditation. Yeah, I know. A warm and inviting fire crackles. The scent of marshmallows wafts by you in the breeze. Seated around the fire are our storyteller friends who take turns sharing their creepy anecdotes and thrilling stories. Let's listen. Should you visit Beaufort, North Carolina, you will come to find that many of the homes share one thing in common. The historic homes share a shade of bluish-gray hue that adorns the front porch. To those of us who are from the South, we'll know this color is hate blue. Now, there's a reason why many of these homes have painted their porches hate blue. And let me tell you, it was not a fashion statement. It was not a trend. It was due to something that occurred a little bit after the Civil War. Twenty years after the Civil War, something very strange happened in Beaufort. In Beaufort proper, which are the three streets leading up behind Front Street, something strange occurred. Now, Beaufort proper given as the name, as you can assume, was the place where those of high status resided within Beaufort. You could tell by the lovely homes which are on these three streets. This was the place where people drank their tea with their pinkies up. And it was in this time that, a little bit after the Civil War, in that area, something very strange was occurring. People kept dying in their sleep at random. No rhyme or reason to it. It was not like your story in Exodus. It was the firstborn of every household. Nay, this was happening to elderly, to babe, to man, woman, child. No discrimination. One person from every prominent household was stricken. One morning they're fine, the next they are dead. No symptoms to follow it. What was even more strange is they had doctors do autopsies on these bodies to which the doctors at the time could find nothing wrong. As you can imagine, a small town like Beaufort, this leaves people to stew and brew and come up with rumours, wondering if this is not something physical, it must be something spiritual, it must be something paranormal. So the people of Beaufort Council got together, the men of Beaufort Council got together and they decided to have a little meeting to figure out what they were going to do about this, to which one of the men suggested they sought counsel. Counsel from someone they, in the past, had almost ostracized from the community due to a rumor. This person went by the name of Aunt Peggy. Aunt Peggy was a former freed slave woman after the Civil War who lived on the edge of town in a little shack. Now, just because she was a former free or now a free slave woman, it does not mean she was treated any better. They still kept her to the edge of town. They still did not treat her fairly as she should have been. And what made matters worse is they had a rumor that Aunt Peggy was what they called a conjure woman. They believed that due to her practicing her old rituals and faith passed down generation from generation from her ancestors in Africa, that she must have been involved in some sort of magic. Therefore, they called her a conjure woman, and they stayed away from her. 
And can you imagine poor Aunt Peggy's surprise when one morning she's doing whatever it is she does in the morning, whether it be make tea, make coffee, she hears a knock on the front door of that little shack and she opens it to find all these pompous, suited men of the council of Beaufort Popper standing there wide-eyed and desperate for her help. Oh, how the turntables had turned. Aunt Peggy was to open the door and say, How can I help you, gentlemen? To which they say, Aunt Peggy, you have to help us. Something very strange is going on in the town, and we think you're the only one who can know what it is and how to stop it. They then proceed to tell her exactly as I just told you. They explain to her that Aunt Peggy, people are dying in their sleep. There's no rhyme or reason to it. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how to stop it. Do you know what's going on? Can you help us? Aunt Peggy sat back for a moment. She thought to herself, and she remembered something that perhaps the ancestors of Beaufort proper had forgotten. And that was that the land that Beaufort is on is stolen land. Yes, Beaufort comes from native land, land that was taken from the Native Americans before them. It's no secret, as the names that surround the area still remain, Hatteras, Corey, Pamlico, these are not British names, these are native names. The land that Beaufort is built on is native land, some of it sacred, some of it burial ground. And it was no secret, the people who originally settled it, those colonists believe the land to be cursed, due to it being stolen. Aunt Peggy then reminds the people, the land that this is on, you know, is stolen land. I think that you are dealing with a curse. The men then stood there, wide-eyed, realising that mayhap that she was right, that they were dealing with a resonating curse, and they said, well, Aunt Peggy, how do we break the curse? And Aunt Peggy said, "Mm mm-mm, no. "'Tis a bad idea to cut a curse short, you see. "'Tis better to let a curse run its course, "'for if you cut a curse short, "'something soon will always follow after it. "'They then said, Aunt Peggy, "'we do not care of the risk. "'We must end this suffering, "'lest another member of our families "'be brought to death in their sleep. "'You must give us the remedy. "'How do we stop this curse?' "'To which Aunt Peggy said to them, "'All right, I will tell you how to lift it. "'But don't say I did not warn you.' was then Aunt Peggy said, take a little bit of that indigo root, mix it with a whitewash paint, and paint your porches paint blue. The people then began painting their porches paint blue, to which Aunt Peggy uh, explained to them, this works by, you see, evil spirits, you see, they cannot cross water. And this colour mimics water so well that when the spirits try to cross over it, they bounce right back off it, and they then reverberate across the sea. In fact... This is believed to be the reason why some people hear those random cannon sound that echo off the coast out of the outer banks. Now you believe it to be pirate cannons, but in that time, the wives of the sailors believed that that random booming sound echoing off the coast was the sound of the spirits pouncing off their front porches. What was amazing is after the people of Beaufort proper painted their porches haint blue, people stopped dying in their sleep. It's as though the curse worked. However, it was a couple years later that something came in that town that would be able to get past that border, that border of hate blue. You see, while evil spirits do respect hate blue and do not cross it, what has no respect for your spiritual barriers is sickness. In 1864, the very worst of it came to our town and yellow fever ravaged Beaufort. And yellow fever took almost every single life within the Thomas family house. The Thomas family graves now stand beautiful and elegant. Now serve as a a memorial of Aunt Peggy's mourning. Maybe it would have been better to let that curse run its course, lest we never deal with the yellow fever pandemic that almost ended our town in 1864. Along the many islands that decorate Beaufort's coast, Shackford Island, Carrot Island, Sand Dollar Island, there are wild horses, herds of wild horses. These wild horses are the reason why we are called the Graveyard of the Atlantic. You see, over 300 years ago, Spanish Inquisition ships wrecked on our shallow shoals. While the people were not very good swimmers, the horses proved to be excellent ones. For a while, the theory was questioned if it was true or not whether these horses were indeed over 300 years old. Many people who visited Beaufort said there's no way horses can live over on those islands, living and breeding together for over 300 years. So Beaufort does what we do best. We take the advices of our ancestors and we test it with real knowledge and fact to prove their stories to be true. We hire these scientists to come and do these tests on these horses. 
Now, I'm but a humble pirate. I know very little of your modern science, but I've come to understand that these scientists performed something of what you call a DNA test. Because from this DNA test, they discovered those horses had in fact been over there living and breeding together for over 300 years, proving that the stories passed down from our ancestors are true. Now, with those horses, there came a story. And the story comes not from their origins in Spain, but the story comes from our Scottish and Irish immigrants who settled the area with the English, rushing to us, saying, Be very careful of those horses, mate. Some of them are not horses at all. We look at them and we say, Horses? No, some of them are not horses. What are you saying? They look like horses to me. To which our Scottish and Irish brethren said that some of those horses were a creature they called the Kelpie. Now, the Kelpie is an excellent shapeshifter, they said. They believe it took the form of a stowaway on one of their ships, and that's how it got here in the first place. But the Kelpie's truest, most favourite form to take is that of a beautiful horse, making those islands the perfect place for the horse to make its home. The Kelpie to make its home and blend in amongst the horses, I should say. Now, what makes the Kelpie so dangerous, aside from it being an excellent shapeshifter? You see, the Kelpie it likes to prey upon the innocent, namely children. But don't worry, if you heed my warning and you listen to the story, you will be able to recognise a Kelpie, and you'll be able to avoid it casting a spell upon you. You see, what the Kelpie does is it spies a group of unsuspecting victims who are either innocent or do not know the story. It will then go up to them prancing, and this is how it begins to cast its spell. This beautiful horse, they say, of emerald eye and velvet fur, remember that emerald lion, velvet fur, that's how you can recognize it. It will then begin to cast its spell upon you, and it will prance, it will dance, it will do all sorts of manner of tricks to entrance you, and this is how it gets you. Once you are transfixed on this creature after it has cast its spell, it will then lower itself to the ground, as if to say, come, come, take a ride. You will then be compelled to light upon this creature's back, and don't worry, if there were ten of you there, this creature would accommodate each and every rider. For the Kelpie can crack and snap and elongate its spine, allowing enough room for each and every rider to make way. And you are so under its spell at this, t- at this point, you do not even, you are not even phased by the cracking and snapping of the spine. You then light yourself upon this creature's back, and for but a moment it seems as though you're in a daydream. It's a joyride. After all, this beautiful creature is riding you across the beach or seeing the lovely views, feeling the wind in your hair. But then quickly, that daydream turns to that of a nightmare as this wicked beast then charges forward uh, full speed ahead into the murky waters. And all too little, all too late, you realize your legs, they are stuck upon, upon this creature's back. Your vocal cords frozen in place, and there's nothing you can do as this wicked creature then drags you down deeper and deeper into the depths. And all that comes to follow is bubbles. Bubbles come up. Now, I wish I could tell you this creature simply likes to drown its victims, but that would simply not be true. You see, this wicked creature likes to wait for the moment where your spirit is about to leave your body, and then it takes your spirit and it places it in the body of a fiddler crab. Which is why we have a very particular saying here on the coast, here in Beaufort. You may have heard some of the locals say it. You may hear some of the locals say it if you visit. If you see the crabs running across the beach, please do not step upon the children. And that is where that story comes from, mate. Should you ever find yourself visiting Beaufort, North Carolina, you may come across a particular home. It's called the Langdon House. Now, the Langdon House is one that you can literally stay in, and it's a very rare exception to every other historic home in the area, as the Langdon House is one that literally has not changed its occupation since the day it opened its doors. It opened up its doors in the year of our Lord, 1764, to be an inn, and to this day, it still serves and stands the exact same purpose as a bed and breakfast. There are several haunts that walk the halls of that old home, one of which is a guest and the other, which is a family member. Now, the Langston House is named for the family who owned and built the home, the Langston family. Mr. Langston was a retired merchant sailor who at the early age of his mid-forties was able to retire as he worked at a very young age and saved enough money to do so. Upon his retirement, he and his wife bought the large home 
and built upon it and opened the doors for it to be an inn. Now he and his wife, they not only decided to settle down and open an inn to have business, even while in his retirement still wanting to make money, however, he also wished to have the home filled with his own family and they wished to start a family of their own. He and his wife, while they weren't blessed with many children, were blessed with two beautiful daughters at the exact same time. They were twins. They had no other children after this, and perhaps this was for the best, as if they had more children, they would not have room to have a bed and breakfast. The daughters' names were Faith and Charity, but when they were very small, we knew them as the little girls in blue. They liked to wear matching blue dresses, run around the town, cause all sorts of innocent fun, innocent mischief, really. Nothing scary, just have you mix up the names and whatnot. However, as they got older, their personalities began to develop and change, and these little girls would become very different from one another. For starters, there was Faith. Now, Faith and I, we were very good friends. And in knowing this, you must know that she was, out of the two of them, the rebel, the wild child. She was the one that gave her poor dear father heart palpitations while we snuck out late at night, meeting up with the local boys in Beaufort. To any fathers of daughters listening, I hope you do not understand this sentiment. Now, there was also Charity Langston, and Charity was the meek, the mild, the timid, the shy. While Charity didn't enjoy the same fun that me and Faith did, I still liked Charity, as she was the one who always remembered what type of tea I enjoyed. Any time I came and visited, she would offer me that cup of tea with just the same practice, poise, and etiquette as she always did. Chances are, mate, if you would have stayed here in the 1700s, you would have met Charity Langston. She would have been the gentle hand offering you tea, asking if your meal is well prepared and to your liking, and your beds are they comfortable. She rather enjoyed visiting with the people who came to visit in Beaufort and hearing their stories. Now, there's another character that enters the story, and to really exercise storytelling, I think it's best to exercise one of the most particular muscles to use, which is your imagination. When you think of this next character, mates, I wish for you to picture the most devilishly handsome and gorgeous man that you've ever seen in your entire life. Now take that image and imagine this to be our Captain John. Now Captain John, he was also a merchant sailor, but he's also young, he's good looking, and he's rich, he's our status, he has rank, he's a captain. And as Captain John enters Beaufort, North Carolina, he goes to stay at the renowned local inn. While every eligible bachelorette is standing there batting their eyes at him, he pays them no mind as he walks right past them and goes to seek refuge at the local inn. And he would remain an oak and steadfast, unwavered by any beautiful lass that paid him any mind, until that wooden door swings open and he locked eyes with none other than our beloved Charity. And he's quite taken with her, you see. And he finds that not only is he taken to her via face value that she's beautiful, but she also has many redeeming qualities that other ladies of the time did not. She was very um, progressive. She enjoyed hearing about other people's cultures. She was that of a young philanthropist, if you will. She liked hearing those sailing stories, and he found when he spoke to her they had a great deal in common. It's as though the stars aligned perfectly so when they met in Beaufort. And he would spend every waking moment he could getting to know and falling in love with our charity. However, us sailors, you know, we have a very bad habit, you see. We cannot stay on land very long. So Captain John leaves Charity with a word of good faith. And he says, Charity, I will be back for you. However, uh, I do have to go run my final tour sailing. And when I come back for you, as I'm out to sea, I will write her father a letter asking for your hand in a marriage. And if he accepts, we will come back and we'll be wed. And with that, he kisses her goodbye at the docks. He leaves and he keeps to his word. And he finds the time to sit down at his desk. He's got his inkwell and his parchment in hand, and he starts penning this letter to Mr. Langston. The letter then reads, Dear Mr. Langston, I, Captain John, should very much like to marry your daughter. I'm asking for your daughter's hand in marriage, your daughter, Faith. You catch that, mates. And when you like someone very, very much, I highly suggest you at least get the names correctly. And we in Beaufort have been arguing amongst ourselves, us locals, for hundreds of years, how in the world do you make such a critical error? Now, there's three schools of thought, really. One is that it was just an honest mistake mixing up the girls' names. That seems too easy, doesn't it? The second theory is that maybe he had a bit too much to drink in his quarters one night while pinning this letter to Mr. Langston. 
The third theory, however, is the most widely believed, and that is that there is a bit more of a sinister twist to the story. Maybe, while Captain John bids Charity goodnight and she's going to bed every night on schedule, the good girl she is, it is Faith getting jealous, consumed with jealousy, in fact, sneaking back down those stairs, spending time with this man, stroking his hand by fireside, confusing him, saying, Oh, call me not Charity. Call me by my full name, Faith Charity Langston. Whatever you believe happened, it happened. The letter arrived, and Mr. Langston read it over. He read it over again, knowing that his daughter, Charity, had been the one spending more time with Mr. Captain John than Faith, but the letter said Faith, so regardless, he goes to Faith, and he says, Faith, do you wish to marry this young man? To which Faith reads that letter over, and she quickly agrees. While this might seem harsh to do to your dear sister, keep in mind... In the 1700s, if you were lucky enough to garner a proposal from a man who's both wealthy, young, and containing all of his teeth intact, you were going to say yes. Now imagine poor Captain John's surprise as he comes back to Beaufort, none the wiser. He makes port in Beaufort, he knows his wedding's been accepted, in fact everything's been planned out for him, it's seven days away. He comes walking up the walkway to the Langdon house to greet his young bride-to-be and outruns his young bride-to-be, running up, wrapping her arms around him and squeezing him very tightly. And there on the front porch, he locks eyes with his true love, Charity, who is now standing on the front porch, hands folded before her, stone-faced and stoic. Now, this young man, he's a great deal confused. So he goes to Mr. Langston. He says, Mr. Langston, with all due respect, I think there's been a bit of an error, a bit of a mistake. You see, I'm very much in love with your daughter, Charity, not Faith. And he says, oh, really, son? That is too bad. You see, your letter here says you wish to marry Faith, not Charity. We cannot change the cast of the characters of the wedding, but seven days away, you will make us the laughing stock of Beaufort. And these two men then proceed to have an argument so loud, so boisterous. Why, I could remember the neighbors coming out wondering what the devil's going on. Also so loud so boisterous, you may see that the Langdon house is right across the street from the local church. The pastor poked his head out, wondering what the devil's going on out there. It's at this point, Mr. Langston pulls in Captain John very closely and says, Son, you must realize, if you back out of this now, you will ruin both my daughter's prospects. You'll ruin our reputation in both, but you're going to ruin your own status as captain as well. So, my dear friends, what is Captain John to do but the most honorable thing he can do and take faith as his bride now charity remember she's meek she's mild she wouldn't cause much of a fuss in fact she even went so far as to make her sister a hope chest to try to be a good sport about it however to those of you who've ever experienced something called heartbreak at least once in your lifetime you may be able to resonate with what comes next you see as our charity stood on the docks watching the love of her life sail away with her sister her heart did break into a million pieces And you know, I'm no doctor, but I have come to understand that your mental health and your physical health can take quite a toll on thy physical health. Excuse me, your mental health can take a toll on your physical health. And as Charity walked herself down back from the docks after watching the love of her life sail away with her sister, she walks herself back up alone to Langdon House, to which she locks herself away. And she comes down with grief as she cries herself to sleep every night in her room. But grief would not be the only thing that overcame our beloved faith. She would also be overcome with something we called in that time consumption, something you might refer to as tuberculosis, and she died. Now, typically, per usual, when you take a body, you bury it out in the cold, hard earth of our burial ground. Typically, per usual, when you bury a corpse in the ground, you do not see them again. However... Charity is quite a unique case. In fact, there are reports of seeing Charity dating all the way back to little after she died two days prior. The reports go something as follows. The front porch of the Langdon house contains on it rocking chairs. Those chairs seem moving back and forth. Some sensitive spirits say they've seen a woman in a blue dress sitting there as if she's still waiting for something. There's also been more modern reports of people who've stayed within the home who say late at night they hear this weeping coming from outside their bedroom. Women, typically being more compassionate and curious curious creatures, are typically the ones to rise from the bed and investigate the crying from outside the bedroom. The women open up the doors to see at the top of the staircase there's a woman standing there, wiping her tears in a blue dress, there for a moment, then vanishing once she notices she's been caught. The next morning, you may be having breakfast with the innkeeper and say, By the way, 
Who was that beautiful woman in the blue dress, crying there for a moment, gone the next? To which the innkeeper replied to you, Oh, yes, you must have met our beloved Charity. In Charity, mate, she be but one of many of the resident ghosts who haunts this town, and but one of many of the ghosts that I may introduce to you should you take my tour. Awesome, awesome. I think we should hear from Kyle now. So I've got a real-life spooky story for you. Quite a while back, I'd say at least, goodness, 25, 30 years ago, my then-girlfriend, now wife, and I were helping a childhood friend of mine. His grandmother had passed away. And it was this huge Victorian home that she lived in by herself, and they needed help cleaning it out. They were going to sell the place. So, my whole family, including us, went to go help out. Now, this lady, I did not know her very well. In fact, I only met her a couple times. But her house was full of some really weird and eclectic stuff. I mean, weird and eclectic even for this audience. And the vibe that was going on in this house was just oppressive, angry, just you could feel that the presence there did not want you there. Now we didn't think much about it. We were, were helping out. And so as we continued cleaning out and pulling stuff out of the house, somehow we ended up on the back side of the house and we needed to go up front. So we cut around the side of the house. And as both of us were coming around the side, we both stopped dead in our tracks. And simultaneously, we both looked up. And up in the second floor window, we saw her, the grandmother. She was staring at us. And the look in her eyes was just pure anger, hatred. Just felt like if she could reach out and strangle you, she would. And that's one of the few times I have been terrified of a spiritual presence. And we didn't go back in the house. We both kind of looked at each other and we hightailed it back to the front yard and we made up an excuse that we have to go and we got in the car and left. And I've talked to other family members that were there. They didn't have any kind of experience like that. It was just us. But I pity whoever moved into that house. From what I understand, they were going to turn it into college housing, so splitting it up. But I guarantee you, to this day, that house is haunted. And our very own Bradley. Hi, guys. My name is Brad Howard. I'm also known as Fletcher Moon of Fletcher Moon and the Culture of Beer and Captain Fletcher Moon of the Pirates Royale. Yay! Yay! (laughs) I have a really cool story for you. It's actually one of my favorite stories. I only have a handful of what I would call personal ghost experiences, but, you know... Someone can try and rationalize that this doesn't happen all they want, but I always end up telling them at the end of their diatribe, well, that's all good and well. All I know is this is what happened to me. All right, so I was dating a girl, and we decided to uh, spend a weekend at a friend's house up in northern Maryland. And we went there. Uh, He lived in a beautiful, uh, big Victorian mansion that had been turned into three apartments. He he had the third floor, which originally was uh, back in the railroad baron days, was the nursery for the children. Um... Anyway, 
so he he gave us his bedroom because that was the only double sized bed he had, and, and he took his guest room. We uh, we got ready for for bed that night, and um, at some point during the night, I sensed that she was tucking a second pillow under my head. And thinking thing of it, it was very nice. I was very comfortable, and she tucked me in. Anyway, didn't think anything of it until until the following morning when we woke up. And I did that. Hey there. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you so much for the 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 extra pillow and and the tuck in. That was so sweet. And she looked at me, and she had this kind of grave, confused look. And then she looked at her pillows, and she counted them, and she noticed she had another pillow, too. Well, we both looked over at the window seat, which is where the pillows were, and sure enough, they were gone. In fact, uh, the extra blanket was also not there. It was on, on the bed. And I said, you, you, by the way your face looks, am I safe in guessing you didn't tuck me in last night? <laughs> she said, no. Did you put a pillow under? I said, no. I started to think about the memory, and I started to realize it wasn't her. I got this picture in my head of a woman in a black dress wearing a white apron and her hair up in a bun. And she saw my face kind of crunching the numbers on what I was just realizing. And she said, what? And I said, um, it's going to sound weird, but when I think about it, my actual memory is that a lady and she said wearing a bun yes in a black dress then she said with a white apron and we both just had that that chill feeling oh, it's yeah. like, and so she told me that yeah she got a pillow and a tuck too and I realized that, all in all, it was a very pleasant experience. It was comforting, but weird. <laughs> and she said, <laughs> she pointed out, I suppose you don't think it weird that we dreamed the same, dreamt the same thing. I went, oh, yeah, that's that's weird, too. That's weird, too. <laughs> so we, we threw on our robes, and uh, we smelled coffee and bacon and we knew our friend was uh, starting breakfast so we thought let's go get some coffee and ask him about this yeah <laughs> so, first thing uh, you do is walk down the stairs and go I have questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> we walked in uh, I, the first thing I did was uh, I grabbed coffees because we needed we needed some joe we needed some caffeine <laughs> um I said, how do you guys sleep? <laughs> we both kind of looked at each other, kind of laughed, a nervous. <laughs> yeah, we slept really well. We were really comfortable, but something weird happened. And it piqued his interest. He cocked his eyebrow up. He can do that like I can do, you know. It's... Anyway, he cocked his eyebrow up and said, oh? I had the feeling he knew what I was going to tell him. But, because that is what our friend is like. <laughs> <laughs> and I respect and get that. I totally get that. Anyway, so he said, what happened? And we told him the story about our being tucked in by this lady. And while we're explaining the whole story and we're describing her, he's going back to a bookshelf in the hallway adjacent to his kitchen and he's thumbing through the books and he pulls a big uh, photo album out and he start, he's flipping through it 
the whole time going, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just as we were describing what she looked like, a black dress, a white, a white apron, her hair was up in a bun. Um, she looked very Victorian. He said, yeah, was it her? And he turns the book around and shows us a photograph. And we both just went, <laughs> was her. It was her. We, we could see her face and her form. That was the lady who tucked us in. That's awesome. At this point, we're figuring he's got answers because he knew where to look. That's when he told us the story of Nanny. Nanny is her name. She was famous for being a very, very beloved uh, servant in the town. She, she was the governess for the very wealthy family who lived in that house back when it was one household and not three apartments. And her job was to watch and care for the children. Um, well, evidently, some kidnappers broke in the house and their whole idea was to kidnap the children for ransom because the guy was a millionaire. And... Um, she fought them. She defended the kids, and they killed her up there in the nursery. They they ran. She saved the children. Anyway, she became a local hero. And um, posthumously, of course. Posthumously, yes, yes. Um, so so we said, Nanny still lives here, doesn't she? <laughs> and. And he said, uh, yeah, she does. And we're like, you're going to elaborate on this? <laughs> and he said, well, I've lived here for seven years. And it was a little jarring at first. But I got used to her so quickly because she has never done anything to frighten me. in uh, On purpose, anyway. She's always done things that are caring and thoughtful and he's actually comforted by her presence and you know the way he described that I understood but man to live with a ghost who regularly visits you and not really feel free to tell the world because most of the world will just write you off as being mm -hmm. insane but yeah um, he, uh, I was there one other time, it was just me, and, um, we were in his living room, and he got up to go to the bathroom, and he stepped in the hallway and started walking in, and stopped, and he said, Fred, come here, and I went, and he pointed down the hallway, and he said, tell me what you see. His cat, uh, was was hopping down the hallway on her hind legs, hopping away from us, and her paws were flailing at something in front of her, as if she was following someone walking. And I said, that's Nanny, isn't it? He said, yeah, apron strings. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I asked him, how often does Danny pop up? He said, sometimes I won't see her for a few months. Sometimes I'll see her two or three times a week. It all depends. But she usually comes when it would suit me best emotionally. In other words, when he needed some comfort or support, some extra spoons. <laughs> uh, then Manny would pay a visit. Maybe she'll arrange things in a subtle way that he knows I didn't leave that that way but it's kind of nice it's it's in order now you know <laughs> it sounds lovely yeah. it, it's 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 a cool I think it's my favorite ghost story because it's not what you expect 
it's creepy as hell when you think <laughs> about it. And when it was happening and when he revealed that photograph, oh my god. I I I, I don't think I, I think I threw the underwear away immediately. I I, I, I <laughs> But when you hear the whole thing, you think, Wow, I was not expecting that. That's kinda cool. Yeah. So yeah. That's that's my story about Nanny. Ooh, and now it's May's turn. Yeah, so uh, my name's May Hemmer. I am a costumer and a cosplayer, and finally getting back into character work. I used to be a party princess as Tiana back in the day, and um, yeah, that's really it. Uh, I'm a mom. Uh, I'm a husband. Uh, <laughs> that can be terrifying sometimes, too. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Well, look, I'm here. <laughs> look, I'm not. <laughs> um, so what kind of stories do you have for us that you want to oh, share? Oh my God, spooky stuff. So I'm, uh, let's see, that private voice. So I'm from New Orleans originally. And so I'm so, everybody would think like, oh, how much spooky stuff do you know? And I'm just kind of like, well, I mean, the whole city's just weird. But uh, <laughs> yep, so it's kind there. of like, look, it's just kind of like, it's just every day for us, so nobody really thinks it's weird, like, down there. Um, when it happens out the city, it's weird to me. And uh, so, actually, uh, I was with the Viking Experience this past weekend. And just for some background, uh, so we usually camp on the owner's property um, because she has a huge, like, like, a lovely old farmhouse, you know, a bunch of land. So all of us, like, Viking nerds that do all this reenactment and theater stuff, we literally just camp out like in an encampment. Um, sure. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun. You know, I kind of brought my more modern tent because, you know, I didn't want to bring out my big 16-person yurt that <laughs> me and my friend used and we deck out, like, to the nines. But we do it for the festival. So, this property... Now, I had been there twice before I realized this. So, I'm unloading my stuff for, I think it was like the February uh, cast rehearsal or something, January, I can't remember. Our festival was this past March. Um, and so I'm unloading stuff. I go to move my car to go drive on the other side. And then I start realizing, what's the crap in the ground? What, what is that? So I just go park my car. I start walking back. And then I realize it's concrete. But the concrete's above ground. So then I was like, wait, they're headstones. Oh, there's a there's a whole mini like a five four or five headstones in the very front yard by this tree of my my friend slash owner's house, and I will wait. So then I keep walking and I'm like, Angela, oh, that's great. And she's oh yeah, girl. And I'm just like, thanks for telling us. So you just so you weren't gonna say anything. Well, I just keep forgetting it's there. And so, like, my instinct as someone that would be in a movie that's black would get got first, right? <laughs> so I'm just like, okay. So then I let it go. And so we get our stuff. We had our meeting. And every night we usually end with a big old bonfire with drinking mead and, you know, joking and bonding. And then I thought, like, hey, girl, oh. So did you, like, is that part of the property? She's oh, yeah. And I was like, so when did you plan on mentioning to Ellie and I that there's, oh, we just don't really think about it. You know, we just thought people would see it. I said, girl, I'm not looking for dead bodies when I go places up here. Like, this, ain't, this ain't home, child. Like, this is not New Orleans. Like, what are you talking about? So I, I was like, cool. She goes, oh, well, it's fine. The ghost that we have actually lives behind the house. Now, I just casually drop. Oh, the, the, the ghost we have actually lives in the back part of the property by this old farmhouse that's falling apart. I just casually drop that in conversation. It's just a feature of the house, you know. <laughs> I'd be like, the house, they can have the house. Like, they can have the whole property at this point, because I'm not trying to do that, right? So by this point, I'm like, okay, fine. I'm used to it. I just ignore it. I go on about my business. I'm carrying selenite. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to get got. And then this weekend... Comes. And we have the dinner theater where we do like this uh, every year, there's like a play or something. So we did our play for this year again that we did at our festival. 
And so I think it was it was Saturday night. It was Saturday night because we had finished. We're all around the fire. We're cracking jokes. We're bonding. I'm getting called old by some 25 year old. And I was like, okay, I got to go in the house. I need to go use the restroom. And I know that, um, I know that Angela's in the house. And, you know, everybody's outside. So I go use the bathroom. I go in the kitchen. I grab some water and a snack. I go back. I'm like checking something on my phone. And the way this, the way we go in the house, there's like a side door that we go in. And then when you enter, there's a bathroom right there. There's a foyer to the left that leads like a sunroom as well. And then there's a hallway to your right that leads to the kitchen. So I'm standing by the door looking at the bathroom. And then in the corner of my eye, I see a man. So I'm like, oh, one of the guys must have came in. And I turn and I see the guy and then the guy's gone. And I was like, wait a minute. What was that? So I turn around. I go to the kitchen. I said, Angela, is your son here? She goes, oh, no, girl. I said, is, is Jamie in that part of the house? And then she goes, oh, no, he's on the other side of the upstairs. I said, okay, so I have a question. Um, you all have ghosts in the house? Like, in the- And she's like, oh, no, they usually stay outside. I said, what do you say usually? <laughs> usually we talk and so she goes what I said girl I was just standing there by the foyer and I see someone like looking at me from the corner of my eye but then it dawns on me and I was like wait they have like a hat on like some weird top hat looking thing Ooh. and so she goes oh yeah sometimes they come in I said wait a minute girl you said that they don't come from back by the the, the, the back by, by the back so I'm just like at this point going um what you mean <laughs> well, yeah, you know, sometimes I'll have the um, the record player or something in there, and it just starts going off. And I said, if you unplug it, oh yeah, it's when it's unplugged, and I'm just looking at it. <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking, how are you married to a Native American man? <laughs> and you just and, and you just casually just like yeah, yeah. She goes, yeah. Did he look like this? And I'm just staring at her like. Why are you so calm about this? <laughs> so I was like, well, this has been nice. So I leave the house. <laughs> I go back out by the fire. And I'm just sitting there. And then I'm looking at the owner, other owner slash her daughter. And then her other daughter who's also in it. I said, Hannah, um, did somebody go in the house after me? She goes, no, girl, why? And I said, okay, so your mom's not messing with me. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> So she was like, watch, did you see the guy that comes in the house? I said, oh, my God. <laughs> How you still just casually. So I look Hannah dead in her face. I said, I... did you did y'all forget I'm black? Um, like, just casually. I mean, I know, I understand that, you know, we're, we try to be diverse and we all are cool and copacetic. But there's sometimes y'all got to remember that I'm black. And this is one of those times. And so she's like laughing. I said, Hannah, this ain't funny. I've seen this movie. Out of all these people sitting around this campfire, I'm going to be the first one followed by Gina. And so they were like, oh, it's not that big. And so I'm just looking like, okay, cool. And so I sit down next to her and she's like, well, it's not the one back by the farmhouse because every time we went out far that way, somebody got hurt. And I'm just looking at her like, so how many times did it take for y'all to go out that way? To realize you shouldn't be going out that way in the property. <laughs> so then I was like, well, y'all, I just finished my cup of meat. I said, well, this has been fun. Um, I'm going to my tent now. And... Uh, I'll see y'all in the morning. So then <laughs> I go in my tent. I I zip up my, my tent. My mama ain't raised no fool. Neither did my grandmother. So I pull out of my bag all my amethyst, my chunks of sealinite, my witch's broom. Uh, that's a type of a, it looks like a broom. It's like a black, I can't remember the correct, the, the scientific name for it, but it looks like a broom, the way it likes stalagmites and stuff. And I put it all under my cot. And I'm up. <laughs> 
for like two more hours. Because all I can think is, what if it comes out the house? What if it gets a wild hand and decides, you know what? I'm tired of being in the house. I'm going to go out to where people are camping. Like, I'm not feeling it. And it's just the casualness of how, like, people are just like, yeah, we've seen, what? He's harmless. Are you sure? Have you spoken to him? Did you ask him what his resume was and his haunting skills? Like, I just don't understand, like, why this is just so laid back. Because at home, the first thing you do is just nope right on out. Like, they can have the house. I don't need to live there. I can sell it. Y'all, y'all can keep it. Can't catch me in the haunted house. Like... My grandmother was native, and she she used to teach me a whole bunch of stuff. You know, not to be scared about certain things. Teach me different herbal remedies. You know, teaching me because I'm more spiritual than anything. Because I I'm very much like you know nature, and whatever being is out there still make nature, which means it's it's useful to you. You can use it for healing properties and stuff like that. So essentially, you know. There's poisonous things that you should know not to do. There's non-poisonous <laughs> things that are healing. You know, some people find out the hard way things are poisonous. Whatever, right? So, you know, I was Some things are only edible ones. I mean, fat. So, <laughs> some people learned the lesson the hard way and never got to tell anybody. So, um, but I always, like, had these weird experiences when I was young. Um, but it was probably when I was eight. And, no, actually, it must have been... I don't know if I was like eight or ten because I think by that point my parents had like separated and stuff. But anyway, I was at, by this point, I am on, at my grandparents' farm. And backstory, you know, even though I was from there, my grandmother taught on the southwest side of the state in Lake Charles. And because the education system was far better. So I spent primary school, middle school, high school in Lake Charles and went back during the summers because my grandmother was very education was everything to her you know because she was a math and science teacher for like 40 years and for her to get education back in the 30s and 40s she had to get shipped off to a boarding school in France to get any type of education because she was very white passing um, people thought she was either mixed or, which is a whole other story to get into, but people thought she was mixed, you know, she grew, you know, she was on the res for a very long time, um, whatever, so she raised me a lot, you know, and taught me a lot of things, so I probably was like 8 or 10, and so my sister and I were sharing a bedroom at the time, and uh, I'm laying in bed, I'm asleep, and then I feel like something, you know how you can have that feeling of somebody staring at you, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm in my bed. I look up. And I I see what I thought was my grandmother, right? And so, she's just standing at the foot of the bed with a smile on her face. And I'm just like, Momo? You know, I was like, what's going on? It's like 3 in the morning. And so, I was like, Momo, what's going on? And so, she just kept staring at me. And then, finally, she sits down on the bed. And I can feel like someone's sitting on the bed. And then, it dawns on me that ain't my grandmother. She looked like my grandmother. It ain't my grandmother. She was wearing like this super like then like once I woke up it was like super archaic looking like nightgown. It had to be like someone's like chemise almost like eighteen hundreds looking thing. And her hair was long and jet black. Like my grandmother's hair used to be very long before she had uh, breast cancer and went through chemo and stuff, right? So, but her features were different. And then I just started screaming because I was like, "Who's oh, a stranger?" You know, like, you know, and so I'm like screaming my head off and then I get under the covers and then I, I feel something tugging at the covers and then I scream more and, uh, next thing I know, it's my, it's, it's my mom pulling the covers down. So I was, she's like, what are you screaming for? What are you screaming for? And I'm like, there's somebody in my room and my sister's looking at me like I'm crazy because she woke up after I started screaming and she goes, what do you mean? There's somebody in your room. So now I'm freaking out. My mom was just like, whatever, you know, she's just like, take her behind the bed, you know, and my grandmother comes in and she's just looking at me. And so she comes in, she calms me down 
you know, and finally, you know, I go to sleep. She's like holding me to go to sleep. I finally go back to sleep. I wake up the next morning and I'm like sitting in the living room, like freaked out still. Like, just like, I don't like my mom thinks I'm crazy. You know, my sister is like annoyed because I woke up at three in the morning and I'm just sitting on the couch, like staring off the space. And my grandmother comes to sit next to me and she was like, hey, let's look at this family photo album, right? So I was like, cool, it's like old. Because you know how, like, back in the day, it was like Bibles. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, you know, you have all these photos, and, like, this Bible has to be, like, ancient. <laughs> like, it probably has to be early 1900s, right? And you got, yeah, and so, like, you know, for people that may not know, you know, you got, like, deaths, births, marriages, you know, just listed in here, right? Mm-hmm. So we start going through it, and there's, like, pictures, and then I slap a page. I said, Momo, who is that? And she was like, what? I said, that's who I saw in my room. That's who I saw in my room. And in the photo is a woman that looks very light-skinned, long black hair, and it was kind of, like, not really a chemise, but it looked like an old, like, Victorian, like, Edwardian kind of style-looking thing. And I was like that's who I saw and so she goes that's who you saw for sure I said I'm telling you this is the person I saw staring at me and sitting on the bed and she goes well that's my great grandmother whoa and I was like what no yeah no wait no that's her grandmother which means my great wait great great grandmother um because my my mother I think I did it right well my mother my grandmother's mother died when my grandmother was like 16 she was only in her 50s. Um, so she ended up spending the rest of her time being raised by her grandmother. And it turns out this woman died in the house. Oh. With my grandmother. And so my grandmother was like, she's not harmful. She just likes to look in on her family every now and then. So by this point, you know, it's my sister and I. And she's like, she doesn't do anything. She checked on your mom and freaked your mom out. And, my, you know, so my mom just, like, never speaks of it. Like, my mom in her head, it's all made up. Nobody needs to listen to this, blah, 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 right? <laughs> but my grandmother's like, you know, your mom just ignores stuff. So at some point, you know, it's very much you don't use it, you lose it. So she's like, she just checks in every generation. And so my grandmother remembers when she died and she remembers seeing her like a week after and she had her own children and then my my mom would freak out but my aunt who's autistic continues to say I still see so and so so you know because my aunt's a little more open about stuff like that my uncle he's just kind of like ah you know like I'll take it or leave it you know what I'm saying (laughs) so you know so then I was like okay cool so after that and I was a little once it was playing to me at a young age so then I would just I could feel like anytime I was like upset or stressed like with stuff that was going on with my parents I could feel at night and that would calm down so I kind of let it happen now the only negative side to that is I cannot be around cemeteries I cannot if I don't have a certain thing on me I will literally vomit and pass out oh oh, no. oh yeah it's pretty bad so for instance, I went to Boston for my birthday, and we went to the big old cemetery where, like, Samuel Adams is buried. Mm-hmm. You know, a bunch of the people that signed the Constitution are buried. And I didn't have my normal necklace that my grandmother gave me on me, right? Because I was like, whoa, it's going to go to Boston with my best life, whatever, you know? And so, one of the things that my husband said you have to do is go to this bar, order Samuel Adams, turn around, and salute Samuel Adams. I mean, I was going to flip him off, but, you know, same difference. So, you know, I didn't realize we had to walk past it, like right past it. So I'm like, mm, this ain't going to end well. And my girlfriend, my best friend who knows me, she goes, oh, crap. So she's like, we'll just speed walk by it. And so I start walking by it and then I just feel sick. And then I feel sicker and then I feel more sick to my stomach. And so at some point she just yanked me across the street, like no crosswalk, you know, <laughs> waiting for cars to just pass by. And so then I go across, I had to sit down for like 20 minutes Oof. so that my head would stop having a migraine. I wasn't dizzy. My stomach wasn't upset. 
so then then we went to the place you know i had to see i had nothing but water at first so just like commoner because i'm shaking by this point so you know that's why certain buildings like i never walk by the little Ori mansion never oh yeah never the one time i did i hit the ground like a ton of bricks um andrew jackson hotel i literally cut a block over Mm. and then get back on the street if i have to go back down bourbon or royal street um uh pirates alley I cannot do it. They hung too many people there. The church hung way too many people there. You know, so there's 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 certain places like I can tell when something's not right or something has happened or you know negative, but I can feel it positive too. But sad thing is there's so much negative that's happened in New Orleans that most of the time I was just like, well, here we go again. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. So, um, but usually, but th- that's why like when I first went to my owner's house I didn't see anything of it and I was like oh uh, I feel icky maybe I just don't feel good right I left you know I went back another time I was like hey like why am I feeling icky and that's when I saw the whole cemetery and I said girl what the we just gonna not tell people stuff like this you know so I started, and it's like, so things add up. So usually, like, one of my friends, you know, I was somewhere, and we were walking, and I was like, girl, is there a cemetery around here? She's like, what do you mean? I said, there must be a cemetery in that direction. And she goes, you've never been here. I said, I'm telling you there's a cemetery over there. And she was like, there is. And I was like, what? She was like, there's definitely a cemetery over there. It's like from, like, the 1800s. I was like, cool, we're going to go this way now. You know what I'm saying? And so she's like, how? I said, dude, I can, it's like, I feel sick all the time. So anytime I go near anything like that, so like when I would go, so that's why a lot of times I could never go to funerals because it would make me sick. Um, like when my, one of my friends from college passed away, I went to her funeral. The cemetery was connected to it. I got like three steps in and I was sick. I, I got sick as a dog. Like I passed out. And then, so, like, when my grandfather passed away, it was really hard. And so I had to stand outside. And my mom was like, oh, you're just being a hypochondriac, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, "Mm, I don't think it's a good idea. And then so she was like, oh, just get in here. And she dragged me in, and then I just got sick, Um, sick to my stomach. So I had to go sit in the limo for the rest of the time. Now, the only caveat that was different was when my grandmother passed. And I really think it's because of her that I wasn't sick. So, you know, had the funeral. It was hard. It was very hard. Because she went suddenly. And um, had the funeral, which was very emotional. And, you know, we drove her out to where my grandfather was buried, which is essentially her family plot area. Because um, my grandfather didn't want to be bothered with his family, so he wanted to be buried. <laughs> her and her family, right? So she was buried right next to him. So, but that was the only time I wasn't sick at all like the entire time so you know my sister and I because my sister is very aware and attuned to stuff and she's like I'm not sick either so she really thinks it's because it was my grandmother watching after us because she always did you know now I'm back to the bull crap now like I'm back to like oh crap I can't you know be around but I think it was her way of wanting us to have that closure and be there so that we could be there and say our goodbye for real Instead of me having to leave in the middle of stuff. So, um, that's, that's the only exception I've ever had. You know, so, and then, of course, sometimes I'll have these weird deja vu moments when they're not really. So, like, I'll, I'll like, have a dream about something. And, um, which is the other thing that my grandmother, you know, told me about and stuff like this. I'll have a dream about something and time will go by and then all of a sudden I'm like, dang deja vu and then before something happens I call it and my friends are like girl how did you know I said oh I don't know I just guessed and the whole time I was like I've already seen this before you know what I'm saying <laughs> like, I've already been there done that got the t-shirt and everything so um it's it's me coming to terms with a lot of stuff and um accepting it now that I'm older and not being afraid of it so you know in the end I've had some weird experiences but honestly I feel like I wouldn't be who I was if I didn't accept certain things about myself that was taught to me. You know what I'm saying? So. Well put. Ooh. 
The fire has burned down to embers, and the stars twinkle in the cold air overhead. It's time to return home with the memories of ghostly frights clear in our minds. We'd like to thank our guest storytellers for joining us. Thanks again to Brad, Emily, May, and Kyle. And we can't wait to do this again, but we have to wait a year. In the meantime, we are your campfire hosts, Heather and Tony. Mm -hmm. Please join us on Facebook and Patreon. And for those who celebrate it, happy Samhain. Happy Halloween to all. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. And for now, bye, bye, y'all.